0: My opening text today will be taking from James, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5, 5 and 6. James just prayed, I don't want to quote him. 1 Timothy 5, 5 and 6, let me read that. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth, Um, she's dead while she liveth, and hence my title, The Walking Dead. Um, There is a way that uh, we, being alive, can still be dead. And uh, I want to go by way of review. We've had a little mini-series on this. This will be the fourth and final installment in that series. By way of remembrance, on on day one, I talked about natural death. We've talked about uh, you being alive physically and dying physically, earthly way. We also introduced eternal life and death. That's glory, that's heaven, that's eternal, both life and death. Uh, Here's one I did not mention. There's spiritual life and death. And when you go to Ephesians 1 and 2, it says the unregenerate are dead. And when you are born again, you become alive. I did not address this in this series any time. And the reason why I didn't touch it is because we just went through a series of we believed. And I think I covered that pretty extensively during that series. But the one I've spent most of my time is what I call a relational life and death, and that's our relationship with with God. Now, again, I want to separate the difference between fellowship and sonship. Fellowship is our relationship, it's our leaving, living, breathing, and the sonship is something different. When we went through that, we explained the difference. We used the subject of adoption. When someone goes into the orphanage, they take the child, they secure uh, possession, they get a name change, they, 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 they've paid all the fines and the fees and whatever it takes, and that child comes home, and that is their son. The thing is, is the son doesn't have a clue who the father is. That takes time to develop that relationship and fellowship over time to understand that dad has my best interest. That dad disciplines me. He loves me. He stays up all night. He works a double job so I can do an event I need to do, whatever it is. And then you come to do that. That's the fellowship we want to talk about. And that's basically what I've spent the the next three weeks on. Okay? So... Right there, um, in part one, we we defined this relationship as a race, as a race. It has a beginning and an end. And during that race, we travel the course and we go through that way. Remember, during the race, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. There's times when you're running uphill. There's times when you're running downhill. There's times when you're running into the wind. There's times when the wind's at your back. There's times when there's a blockage in front of you. There's a time when you get a cramp on the side. And during that race, we just keep on trudging through. Okay? So that was day one, or the Sunday one, to introduce that subject. Sunday two, we talked about that fellowship, and the fellowship with God must, must, must begin with repentance. It's the first thing John the Baptist preached. It's the first thing Jesus preached. It's the first thing the disciples were told to preach. It's the first thing that was preached at Pentecost. It was the first thing that was preached when the disciples went out and uh, um, evangelized the Mediterranean. And even when you go to the church epistles, it's there in the church epistles and the general epistles like James and Peter, it's there. And then when you go to Revelations, those churches that got off course, the first thing they told them to do was repent. So it's an important message you can't say, Lord, please do this and just totally ignore all those commandments. It's, it's, it's very important to repent. Okay? That was uh, week two. Week three last week was talking about the ebbs and flows that go with our choices. And usually we don't end up in a ditch uh, with one solid right-hand turn. It's usually a bunch of series of little decisions along the way that get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it turns off we're way off course. Okay? But today... As the last installment, I want to talk the ebbs and flows that go with our attitudes, not with our choices, with our attitudes. And I want to talk about those. All right? So that's where we're going today. Uh, There's the text we read, and hence the title, uh, Dead Men Walking. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at four people. Hopefully we'll get to all four today. And I want to look at them relative to their attitudes it's possible that you can be doing quote unquote good things and still be dead. You think, how, how does that happen? Well, I think the, the best example is, is of a marriage. Think of two people that have been married for 20, 25, 30 years, and they've poured all their efforts into their children. And then all of a sudden the children get old and they get married and they go away, and then they look around and they go, Who are you? Yeah, that happens more time than you care to admit, okay? So that is an example of a relationship, but they're doing quote-unquote good things. Taking care of kids is a good thing, right? But they forgot each other, and that was the most important thing in the marriage. I've been asked to teach some fathering classes, and they're coming up here. And they said, where are you going to start? And I said, it's marriage. I think the most important thing to good parenting is to have a solid marriage. That's the foundation. Okay? All right. So if you don't have a solid marriage, you can still parent, but it's just that much so better with that, kind of, that, that foundation. All right. So I want to look at some people that are, quote, unquote, the walking dead. I think the first one, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. Cain is probably the perfect example of someone that's walking and dead. I'm going to read his account. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I really want to spend time on a character named Ahithophel. Now, we covered him about a year and a half ago on a Wednesday night, but that guy, I mean, when you look up bitter in the Bible, his, name, his picture is right next to that. I mean, I in the dictionary, his picture is right there. Okay, but let's go to Cain. Okay, I'm in Genesis 4, starting at verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain... "'brought of the fruit of the ground "'an offering unto the Lord. "'And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock "'and the fat thereof. "'And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, "'but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, "'and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. "'So he was very angry at God. "'How dare you take his sacrifice and not take my sacrifice?' Now, there's a lot of things you could guess what it was. You can say maybe when he came, he was having a competition with his brother. He didn't want that. Maybe he did it begrudgingly. I don't know. He doesn't want your begrudgingly gifts. He just, when you keep your gifts, then give it begrudgingly. Or or maybe it was because the Lord required blood, and he says, well, I don't have any blood. My plants don't have blood, and I'm not going to swap or barter with my brother to get his offering to offer his sacrifice for me. But somewhere there was rebellion, and he just was mad, and he offered it up, and God rejected it, okay? So let's go to verse 6, continuing on the same passage. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and slew him. He killed his brother. He was so mad, so jealous, so angry. Verse 9. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. So know what happened. He committed the deed. He was angry without a cause. The second thing was he committed murder. And the third thing is he lied to cover it up. He didn't confess. He lied to cover it up. I know not. I am not my brother's keeper. He said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Hey, I got a tip for you. Don't lie to God, okay? Doesn't work out too well. Okay, verse 11. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand? When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in earth. So in other words, what the curse is, is really strange. He said, Cain, you are a farmer. Whenever you put your hand to the plow, whenever you plant a seed, the seed, the plow, the nothing will be able to come up. You will not be able to grow a single thing for the rest of your life. So he ended up being a nomad, a vagabond. He didn't have a home. His land did him absolutely no good. And he just wandered, meandered for the rest of his life. Now notice in this, he never repented. He never confessed his sin. Okay? What's the title of this message? Dead Men Walking. Right here, Cain is a dead man walking. Watch what it says. Verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. I'd just soon be dead. Behold, thou hast driven me out of this day for the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. In other words, God said, You know what? Home's not going to give you any comfort, and get away from me. Separate from me. Y'all, don't forget 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness, even murder. Okay? It doesn't mean there won't be consequences, but that promise is there. Cain didn't take that promise. Uh, let's see. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall, shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall take him sevenfold, and the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. You know, that's probably the worst penalty, penalty, right? Living without any fellowship, any comfort, any security. Just constantly going. And God put a mark on him. I have no idea what the mark was. But whatever it was, people knew, don't kill Cain because God's going to get after you because his punishment is to wander around without security. That is an example of the walking dead Okay, so I've defined the walking dead, and he's an example of it. All right, so that's all I want to spend with, with Cain. Let's go to the next man. I want to talk about Saul really fast. Okay, One of the reasons why I want to go to Saul is because in this particular miniseries, we've talked about Saul many times. We've referred to him. So I want to go back to him one time. This is kind of like the wrap-up, tying it all together. So let's look at Saul's life. I think he's an example of the walking dead. Now, notice what happens. In this, Saul's out-of-control motions chases away family. It chases away advisors. It chases away his priests. It chases away his soldiers. And it chases away all his citizens. Y'all, that's an example of the walking dead. Where you act in such a schizo, paranoid, melancholy state that people run from you. That's the living dead. Okay? Let's look at him. Okay, you're just enduring Cain and Saul. Wait till we get to Hithophel. That's, that, that's, that's where I want to go. Okay, so in, in, uh, this is all recorded in 1 Samuel. In 15, 26 through 29, Samuel spoke uh, God's judgment. In other words, Saul was messing up, and God said, the Lord's going to chasten you. He's going to remove the kingdom from you. And then in 16, 2, God said, I want you to go anoint a new king. And Samuel says, "Uh-uh, I'm not doing it. Saul's going to kill me." You know what Saul's response to every problem is? Kill him. Kill him. Who's Samuel? Samuel has been his trusted advisor. You remember when he was just a podunk person looking for some lost mules? Samuel come up to him and says, "You're the man." And he worked with him and he counseled him and he advised him and he encouraged him and he anointed him and he, and, and he worked with him for years. And all of a sudden he got to a place where he was paranoid about possibly you know, losing his kingdom and he just struck out at everybody. The only thing he was focused on was keeping the kingdom. He forgot it wasn't his kingdom, it was God's kingdom. He was simply the steward of the kingdom. He forgot the Lord. Kill Samuel, Okay. So then, what happened was, he gets this young guy named David, and David's this young whippersnapper, and he's a soldier, and he's going into battle, and he's having great victories, and they come home from a great victory, and they're saying, David killed his, or Saul killed the hundreds, and David killed the thousands. Saul got jealous. How dare they sing about this young whippersnapper and say, He's got the thousands, I only got the hundred? Guess what his response was? Kill him! Right? In 191 and two, Saul ordered the soldiers to take David's life. So we go on to 20, 27 and 32. Saul had a son named Jonathan. And, and, and Saul's getting really angry at David. And he's saying, I gotta kill that guy. And his son, Jonathan says, dad, what's wrong with you? He's been nothing but a lawyer soldier. Guess what the solution was? Take a javelin and chunk it at his own son. His son got so mad at him. He drove away his advisor. He's drove away his soldiers. He's driven away his family. Do you understand? He's a dead man walking. His solution to everybody is kill him. One more. There's a priest named Amalek. So David's on the run. He's afraid Saul's going to kill him. And when he's running, he goes to Amalek and he says, Amalek, can I have some bread? My men and I are hungry. So he gives him some bread. As far as he knew, he was a loyal soldier. And you know what? As far as God knew, he was a loyal soldier. The only one that he wasn't loyal was Saul. So he gave him some bread. So what happens? Saul comes back and he sees Abimelech and he says, you fit David. Guess what the solution was? Kill him. And not only did he kill him, he killed his family, he killed all his priests, and he killed all those loyal citizens. Y'all, Saul is the walking dead. He's living, he's living and he's breathing and he's eating food and he's metabolizing it and he's, 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 he's sleeping and he's waking and he's doing all that. But you know what? He's a dead man in terms of relationships. He's driven all the people away. Why? Because he had some out-of-control emotions. So then he ended up to the ultimate point where he actually took his own life. All right? So I want to make this point. This is a verse we use many times. This is in Matthew seven fourteen, or 13 to 14. It says, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many go in thereat. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few find it. So we're talking about this, and we're saying, Okay, okay, I understand that's Cain. I understand, I understand that's Saul. But that's no one in this church. There's some church people that actually can get in that state too, all right? So I'm just defining it. I'm just trying to get you an example of what dead men walking look like, and it's, it's not like something you see on television about zombies and all that kind of stuff. No, it's talking about us and our attitude. We can get to such an attitude where even though we're alive, we cease to live, okay? <clears throat> all right, so let's go to Ahithophel. I like this guy. Well, I don't like him because he turned out to be a mess, but I like the case study. It's interesting, okay? You're probably asking, who is Ahithophel? Okay. <clears throat> well, the first thing I want you to know is I'm going to show you some scripture, <clears throat> but you know who Hithophel is? A Hithophel is Bathsheba's grandpa. You got that? Who's Bathsheba? You got her? We're going to prove it scripturally, and then we're going to see what happened to him, Okay. Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandpa. Okay. In, um, this is all in 2 Samuel eleven three. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? Okay. So right now, I know who Bathsheba is. She's Eliam's daughter. Okay. Eliam is dead. I think last week I got it mixed up, and I said it was a daughter-in-law. He's his daughter, okay? Eliam had a daughter named Bathsheba. Who's Bathsheba? Bathsheba is the one David committed the sin last week we talked about. Remember? Let's keep on going. In 23 and 8, it says, these be the names of the mighty men, and they're given David's gene- or the analogy, or the genealogy of the, the 37 mighty men. Notice what it says here when it's giving the description. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Who was the other one? Eliam, right? And Uriah, the Hittite. So let's get this right. Ahithophel had a son named Eliam. Eliam had a daughter named Bathsheba. Bathsheba had a husband named Uriah. So, in that small lineage, there's two mighty men there's dad and there's the son in law, there's grandpa and granddaughter's husband. Okay, David commits the adultery fornication, right? She has Uriah killed you think it just fits the daughter? Do you think it affects the dad? Do you think it affects the grandpa? Oh boy, did it affect the grandpa? He is going to turn into one of the most bitter people you'll ever see in the Bible. Okay, let's look at him. Who was Ahithophel? In 1512, Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gideonite, David's counselor. Ahithophel was one of David's counselors, and not was he only one of them, just a counselor. He was a very esteemed counselor. We're going to read about that in a second. So David had a counselor, Ahithophel, and they were going along great for a number of years. And all of a sudden, David commits this sin, and you got this counselor, and he commits the sin with his granddaughter. You going to sit still for that? Well, how are you going to respond to that? Hmm. Let's see. 1623, and the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, were as if a man inquired of the oracle of God. In other words, he was a big deal. Yes? Even God says, when people, it didn't matter who went to him, when they went to him, they said, ooh, we're on a holy ground, this is one wise dude. And when I get it, it's like I'm talking to God, but that's, that's, that's how respected he was. So you got this guy, he's David's counselor. He's got, not only is he just a plain old counselor, he's the counselor. He's really, really respected. And David does this thing to his granddaughter and his, what do you call it, grandson-in-law or whatever, I don't know however you call it. But that's that that, that, that one, okay? Let's go to 11, 15 and 17. And this is where David had him killed. Got it? So we just ask the question, Um, who was Uriah Ahithophel? He was his granddaughter's husband. And we ask, who was Ahithophel? He was a big-shot advisor. Let's keep on going, okay? Let's look at Ahithophel's response-slash-reactions, okay? Brother Osby, you got to determine whether this was a response or a reaction, a reasoned response or just an emotional reaction. Okay, watch how he proceeds. In 1531... And one told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So so let's get this right. You got David and his son tried to steal the throne away. Got it? Now, I maintain that Ahithophel doesn't really respect Absalom. But you know what? He hates David's guts. I know that's not King James, but he hates him. And we'll see how that hatred manifests itself, but he hates him. So he switched sides. There's a civil war, and he switched sides. Why? Because he hates David. Got it? He's a conspirator. And David says, oh, Lord, this man is so mighty, that's so well-counseled, that we've esteemed his advice all these years. He switched sides. Lord, please and give him foolishness when he speaks. But you know what? He did it. We'll see. Let's go to 16, 20 through 22. Now, I know I'm going through these, again, cherry picking. I put this back on you. You go back and you read from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 17 and see if it's not so. Okay? Absalom said to Hithophel, give counsel among you what we shall do. Now, remember, even Absalom thinks he's a big deal. And Ahithophel said, go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou have abhorred thy father. You know what? Absalom, you didn't abhor your father. Ahithophel abhorred your father. Amen? This is one giant effort to humiliate David to the nth degree. You defiled my granddaughter. I'm going to get you back. Y'all, this is a dead man walking. What's driving him? Hatred, bitterness, evil, vengeance. That's what's driving him. That's a dead man walking. That's all he could see. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the house... On the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubine in the sight of all Israel. He said, you did that to my granddaughter? Look what I'm going to have done to you. So Absalom goes and he's his pawn and he does it. Okay, That's how much he hated his, 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 his ex-king. 17, one through three. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, let me now choose of 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night and I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I shall smite the king only and I will bring back all the people unto thee, the man whom thou seekest as if all returned." So all the people shall be in peace. You know what? That was actually pretty good advice from a military standpoint. Not a God-honoring advice, but from a military standpoint, it was. Give me permission. Give me 12,000 soldiers. I know this David. He's on the run. I know he's been on a run for a long time. I know he's tired. I know his men are weak. And I just want, I I don't want those 300 men that's traveling with him. I just want him. I want to kill him. I want to destroy him. Why? Because I hate him. I hate that guy. Something that we've learned, we teach in the prisons, right? When you're driven by that much hatred, it's like drinking poison, expecting the other guy to die. That is Ahithophel. He hates this guy. But God is so merciful to David. Yeah, he committed the horrible sin, but you know what? God's a whole lot better of judging David than Ahithophel is at judging David. Let God take care of it. Right? Okay, Ahithophel's response or reaction to Absalom, seventeen seven. Hushai, Hushai is a, a kind of a spy David sent in to be one of Absalom's um, servants. Okay, and Hushai said to Absalom, the counsel of Ahithophel is not good after this at this time. This is David's spy, and he tells him a completely contrary advice. You can read that about that in uh, 1714. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord hath appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. So God's working behind the scenes. 1715 and 16. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom, and thus and thus have I counseled. Therefore, quickly tell David. So not only did Hushai switch the advice to do the completely opposite to save David, but he also sent word and he snuck it out to David and says, this is what I told him, and this is what uh, Ahithophel told him, so you better get out of town. And he did, and he escaped. Oh, what do you think happened to Ahithophel? Anyone remember? Yep, he sure did. 1723. You know, you want to make a movie? Read this chapter. This is great stuff. You probably wouldn't believe it in a movie or on television. This, the Bible's, inter- I don't want to call this event entertaining. It's sorry. It's sad. But, but it's exciting, yes. You got everything. You got love. You got treachery. You got denial. You got murder. You got, oh. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him to his home, to his house, to his city, and put his house in order and hanged himself and died. Y'all, he was a dead man walking. You got it? That's an example. How did he get that way? Bitterness and hatred. He let it go on and on and on. You know, I find so amazing. I don't know how old Ahithophel is. But you know what? His daughter, Bathsheba, had a baby. Does anyone remember who that baby was? Solomon. Solomon turned out to be the king. Did you know if Ahithophel just held his horses, he could have bounced his great grandson and trained him and advised him? Right? But that anger so eat him up, he just hung himself. Isn't that terrible? Okay, who's the loser? Ahithophel's the loser. And all Israel was a loser because he fueled the conspiracy and the civil war, right? All right. So, you're going, that's kings and queens. Okay, let's go to person number four. Cain was one, Saul was two, Ahithophel was two, three. Let's go to Martha. Martha. I'm in Luke. Let me read 10, 40, and 41. Luke ten forty and 41. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister had left me alone, but her therefore that, had, that she helped me? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. And then he said, Mar- Mary actually did the good thing. Is serving in a church a good thing? Yeah. Is it possible to get so cumbered about with serving of the details or the traditions or the, th- the 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 technicalities or the physical things that you miss the boat and forget the relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes, you could be a church member. You could be a member of the church and so cumbered about with those little details that you forget about the relationship with God. You know what you are. Spiritually speaking, relationally with God, you're a dead man walking. In this case, a dead woman walking. Yes. Well, really? I can be in church and not have a relationship with God. Yeah, that's why the Bible says there's a narrow way and a wide way. Even church people are in that wide. We want to put all the people in the wide way, those people out there outside of church. No, there's a couple of us, and every once in a while I choose the wide path. No, it's the narrow path that we want to be in. That's the relationship we want. Got it? Okay. This is Luke 8.41. I'm sorry, 8.14. This is the parable of the sower, but I want you to notice something here. We want to say these are... These are them people out there. These are the lost people. These are the unconverted people. These are the people going to hell. These are the people that aren't saints, the non-elect. No, no. Notice what it says. In 8.14 it says, And that seed which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and the pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. And I maintain that some of the cares are exactly the same cares that Martha had about the things of a physical church building. Amen? Our concentration should be on the relationship with the Lord. Does it mean don't do those things? Absolutely not. But you don't make those things your God. Right? You do them. And if your God is not, you can make not doing them a God, and you can make doing them a God. Amen? That's a tightrope walk. That's why wide is the gate and narrow is the way where you have the fruit unto life. Okay? got a second witness in Luke twelve twenty nine through 31. And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. What's that? Relationship with the Lord. And all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of the details. Seek him. You start with repentance. That's getting your mind straight. You continue it with behavior. That's getting your actions right, right? And then you move forward into the relationship with the Lord. Okay. Got a couple verses here I want to read to you. Okay. I got one more guy. This is the guy we didn't have time for last week. Here's a guy that took the narrow way. I can't leave you with all these people that failed. I got to show you a success story. So here he is, Gaius. Or my children always correct me and say Gaius, Gaius. Okay, let me read about this preacher. He's recorded in Third John. Third John is a record of three preachers. He's the first of three. I like this guy. Notice what he is. It says the elder unto the well beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. This is John the apostle writing to Gaius. He's just a he's a preacher. And he's preaching in this, uh, this outskirts city, and he's got this little church there, and he's pastoring it, and he's just loving on people, and he's just preaching to people, and he's just ministering to people. And what he's doing, he's doing it in a way that's just very God-honoring. He doesn't need to be the big shot in Jerusalem with all the other you know, apostles. He's just this little lowly pastor in a little podunk town with his little church, and he's just loving the brethren, and he's loving strangers. And you know what? He's found the kingdom of God. Okay? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospered. The guy's soul was prospering. In order for your soul to prosper, you've got to be having fellowship with the Lord. And he's saying, Your soul is prospering. For I rejoice greatly when I, brethren, came and testified of the truth that is in thee. He's walking in truth, right? even as thou walkest in truth. He's walking in truth. Remember, there's the repentance, then there's the walking in truth, and then there's the fellowship of God. And the fellowship of God is his soul is prospering. He's just, he's just hitting it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest, both to brethren and to strangers. He's doing it to people inside the church and he's doing people outside the church. He's doing it to both. He didn't care. He's just pouring out the love of God to both. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Notice he is leading sheep. He's not driving sheep. They are following him. Y'all, that's that's really, really important. You, you, You drive your little toddlers, three and five years old, but driving teenagers doesn't work so well. Sooner or later, you've got to turn over the reins and you've got to walk a walk where they say, hey, I respect that walk, and I'll follow you. You can't drive them for the rest of their life. It's the same thing with church members. You can't drive them. There comes a point where you start leading them. And again, there's no magic formula. Every child is different, and every parent situation is different. I, I get that. But to understand, he's, 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 he has enough sense. He's leading them. He's not driving them. And then finally, seven, because that, for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. And then finally, in his place as minister, for whatever reason, when he was ministering to the Gentiles, the people outside the church, he says, no, you folks on the outside, I, I, I don't want your money. I don't want your gifts. You, you keep that. You, you, you keep that to yourself. He says, the church and I, we'll, we'll move on. If you want to join us, that's okay. But on the we, we, we don't want your gifts. We don't need your gifts. We're just going to keep on plugging away. Amen? Here's a man that found the narrow way. There's not a lot of them in the Bible. Few understand it. And even fewer enjoy it. Amen? Let me read it just a couple of verses and then we'll close. John 6, 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. We are pressing for not accolades of men, not money in our account, not power, not letters after our name, not prestige, not knowledge, not, not memorizing all that scripture and be, to be for the sake of showing off. We are doing it for the meat, the fruits that go to an everlasting life. And then one more verse. As a verse we read a couple times during this series, I go back to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I think as a church, we're pretty solid on our beginning. We're pretty solid on our end. But it's that middle road that we get confused sometimes. And in that middle road, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is before us. That's today. That's right now. Let us run this race. This race takes steps, step after step after step. And we run that race. But when we run that race, we got two anchors. The one is our starting point. That's Christ. The end is our ending point. That's Christ. And you know what? Christ is in the middle too. Except you're moving a little bit. And the way you get through that race is you keep your eye on the starting point, the ending point, but also up in heaven during the middle. And then we go forward. So, I pray That as we go through this particular um, series, we're looking at life and death. We we respect that a lot of time the word death shows up in Scripture. And it's not physical, and it's not eternal, and it's not spiritual. It's talking about our relationship with God. And we can do things. We can make choices. We can have attitudes that will inhibit us from enjoying that relationship with God during that race. I don't want to do those things. But I'm flesh, and I fall back, and I find myself doing them all the time. So may the Lord bless us there.